Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning, church. I forgot to turn my microphone on on the way up here. I got kind of caught up in Dennis's prayer. Uh, and I'll just kind of step into that for a moment. My heart is is heavy with sorrow um, for our dear brother, uh, Jonathan. And uh, there, are, there are times, and I think most of you have experienced it at one time or another, when God, God just uniquely knits your heart to someone that you didn't expect it to. And sometimes he does it very quickly. And that, that was my experience with, with Jonathan and, and with his family. And so it's with a heavy heart that I'm... I'm here with you today. I know others of you have been to Mbato, have served alongside Pastor Jonathan and his, his wife, Evie, uh, Yvonne, um, and, uh, and their kids in, in uh, First Baptist Mbato. And it's, there's just a heaviness uh, attached to that. And the subject matter that we're dealing with today in itself is there is some heaviness to it. Um, I, I'm, I, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful that this... Dennis reminded us that Yvonne is in the presence of the Lord, and uh, those that we need to pray for now are the family that are, are here. And, um, and I'm just grateful for the hope that those of us who have trusted Christ have in our eternity. And it, it makes me even uh, grateful to, to know that we can, we can celebrate the beauty of this day, the Lord's Day. Uh, because we have our hope not planted in the circumstances of this life, but our hope is in glory with the Lord Jesus. I also want to personally just kind of echo uh, what uh, Pastor Dave said earlier at the beginning of our service, that uh, I want to thank those of you who continue to faithfully uh, support the work and ministry of the kingdom of God through River Bluff Church. And I just want to challenge those of you who have kind of begun joining us online maybe for the very first time. If you've not be, begun to honor God with giving of your resources, I just want to say you're missing a blessing. You're just missing a blessing. God has, has more for you. And uh, I want us to think about some of that more that God has for all of us today. Now, last week, we began a, a new teaching series entitled uh, Undivided. And we're actually partnering with almost 30, 30 other churches in the greater Charleston area. Uh, we, we're, we're, we're getting word that there are even more churches that are coming online with this later this summer. Some not only in Charleston, but uh, around our state. And I love seeing what's happening uh, when churches collaborate, stop competing and start collaborating for the sake of the gospel in, in the city. And we're seeing it in this series. And not only that, we've seen it powerfully played out uh, this past week with incredible collaborative effort in uh, Vacation Bible School. Uh, it had to go online, but man, God has blessed that incredibly. We'll give you more reports uh, of that in the days uh, uh, ahead. But, but God is just doing so much. God, and God blesses River Bluff 
every time he invites us to be a part of the great work that he's doing, bringing other churches together to serve together and, and, and pray together, to take, to take the gospel of Jesus to the most broken parts of our culture together. And I just pray you see it. I pray you see it as the, the blessing of God. And I, I also pray that you've decided you're going to be an active part of it. You're, not just, gonna, you're just not going to show up on Sunday mornings and sit on your couch. You're going to get engaged and, 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 and connected. Now, I've, I've been praying all week long that one of the things that you would experience, and I'm praying it for this week too, is the mercy of Jesus in a new way. We're going to be looking to Jesus today as our model. I love that song we were singing about, uh, about Jesus, how, how we love him. And we're going to look today at what it truly means to, to love mercy that's rooted in our Lord Jesus. Now, if you've been hanging out here at, at River Bluff for you know the last 10 years anyway, um, you've probably seen this image. Stephen, can you bring that, that image up? This is what we call our up, in, and out triangle. It's a visual tool that we use to communicate our process, our strategy for making disciples. Now, if you've been in our building and you've come down kind of the main A hallway, you've seen it on, on the wall as you're heading towards the uh, auditorium. It, it's modeled after the up and and out life rhythm of our Lord Jesus. It's what he lived when he walked and taught uh, among us. Now, in fact, this, this triangle actually speaks to River Bluff's definition of what a disciple is. And we believe this. A disciple of Jesus is one who is devoted to Jesus and practically makes each day an opportunity to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live the up in and out life of Jesus. See, this definition for a disciple of Jesus actually flows from his life, his ministry, and the way he made disciples when he was here. Jesus had this relational rhythm of living up, in, and out. And it, it's revealed repetitively uh, in the gospel narratives. One of the things that happens, when I personally, when I personally disciple uh, a group of men or some couples uh, in any extensive way around here, I always take them to the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. It gives a very concise snapshot of this up, in, and out lifestyle of Jesus. But I also always take them to the Old Testament to show that this model is, can be found in, in, in both the Old and New Testament. This discipling strategy is out throughout the whole of Scripture. And my Old Testament anchor verse for focusing our attention on what it means to be a follower of God in the Old Testament is this up in and out model as displayed in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. And it's what our series is built on. Now, I asked Kim Blayton, our communications director, if she would overlay Micah chapter 6-8 on our discipleship strategy on this triangle. And I think you should be able to see that, see that next. And here's what it is. Disciples of Jesus are to have an up relationship with God. And Micah refers to it as walking humbly with God. Disciples of Jesus are also to have an out relationship with God, reaching into the lost and hurting world. And Micah refers to that in his uh, proclamation as doing justice. And we spent a lot of time last week looking at that. And then disciples of Jesus are to have an in relationship with other believers. This is deep biblical community. Th this isn't just like, yeah, we're kind of like a family. This is actually being a family. And Micah referred to that 
using the phrase love mercy. Some translations say love kindness. So this is, this is central to everything we believe around here about, about making disciples. It's a deep part of our DNA. Now, truthfully, all of us still have much growing to do as we pursue this up, in, and out life of our Lord Jesus. One of the things I'm going to do later in the message today is I'm going to give some working definitions. They'll be very simple in nature, but I'm going to give some working definitions. And I need to go ahead and address something about about definitions. Last week, I used the word not once, but twice, thinking it was another word. Last week, on two occasions, I used the word melatonin. Now, I know what melatonin is. Your body produces it, and you can also, uh, you can, you can uh, purchase it as, as a supplement. I meant to say the word melanin, referring to different uh, skin shades, if you would, of human beings. And uh, one of the reasons I, I did, and I'm not going to say I'm not going to do it again, because I might, and let you who without sin... You know the rest of the verse. Um, anyway, when I give definitions in, in here in a little bit, I do know what, what words mean is what I'm trying to say. I did have several people send me uh, the definitions of melatonin, and I appreciate it. Thank you for that. And uh, keep, keep them coming. Uh, it brings great joy to, to my life. And you were absolutely correct. Some of you told me that you stopped and kind of talked to the TV and said, Joe, it's melanin. Okay. I, I, I'm with you now. I'm with you. And uh, I'm not going to promise I'll never get them mixed up again, though, uh, when I'm talking. Now, last Sunday, we looked deeply at the requirement from God on the lives of those of us who say, God, we're, we, we follow you. We trust you. We're your people through your son, Jesus. And, and what we looked at is God has a requirement for his people to do justice. But before we can become individuals and churches that, that do justice... We've got to first become people and churches that love mercy. So we're kind of backing up a little bit. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those movies where you kind of get into the movie and about 10 minutes in, you realize, how did they get there? And then suddenly it flashes up on the screen two weeks earlier and they take you back in time and then the whole movie's kind of pushing you forward to that. Well, that's kind of what we're doing today. We're, we're going to back up so we can catch up. We're going to do this because here's what's got to happen. If we're going to do justice in the world, something has to happen in us. And we've got to begin to love mercy in, in a new and powerful way. And it's, it's not just receiving mercy. We all love to receive mercy, but it's becoming great dispensers of mercy. Now, one of the surest ways to know that you have received God's mercy is you become someone who dispenses it. One of the great struggles that I watch in the lives of brothers and sisters who have trusted Christ is they so often will doubt their salvation, the salvation that God has given them. And one of the reasons I'm convinced is because they have not grown in the mercy that God has given them until, until you become a mercy dispenser. Satan will continue to have a field day in your mind. You won't, you'll never fully grasp all the mercy that God has extended to you until you become an extender of mercy to others. 
The same thing is true with forgiveness. Until you be, uh, freely forgive others, extend it to others, you'll never experience the fullness of God's forgiveness in, in your own life. Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 6. You can go read it later. But now what I want to do is I want to back up for just a minute and dig a little deeper than I did last week in Micah chapter 6. And we're actually going to start reading from verse 1. Now before we do that, you may want to open your Bibles to to Micah chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. Quick background. God's people had begun to attempt to hide their sins from God behind a veneer of religious activity. Kind of worship became routine. It did not come from their hearts. The prophet Isaiah, who was a contemporary of Micah, had some pretty incredible things to say about that. In, in Isaiah chapter 1, he, he said that the whole nation was sick from head to toe, but they wouldn't confess it, that their worship was nothing more than trampling temple courts. You can go look that up uh, later today. Here's what I'd liken it to. It's kind of like being a patient um, and going to the doctor, and the doctor, you know, does his test, and he does an x-ray, and he, he shows you the x-ray, and he says, you're going to need surgery. And what you do is you look at the doctor and say, hey, doc, could you just kind of take an eraser and erase that off the x-ray? See, it, it, deceit will not cure you. Deceit will only make matters worse. And that's kind of the background of what we're about to read in Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. And you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people. And he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, says the Lord. Now, what we have here is a courtroom scene. And God is calling witnesses. And he told the people, you need to be prepared because you're up next. And you're going to have to plead your case. And the Lord, God opens the proceedings by telling his side of the story. In verse 4, he says this, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. See, here's what God is doing. God is emphasizing his great grace, how he had dealt with his nation from, from the very beginning, how, how he had taken them out of captivity. He redeemed them out of slavery. He gave them leaders who guided them through the wilderness with, with his help. He brought them into the promised land, this promised inheritance that he had, had spoken to them through, through Abraham. And all throughout this journey, the Lord had, had put, he, he tolerated their unbelief. He, he put up with their disobedience and their, their constant whining. And then God goes on. He continues his case in verse 5. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And here's what's happening. God is pointing back to three historic events, where, events where he had rescued them. The first is uh, Balak. He was the king of, of Moab. And he commanded a, a, a prophet, a man of God, Balaam, to curse Israel. 
But God turned Balaam's curse into a blessing. You can read all about that in Numbers chapter 22 and following. God's people didn't even know it had happened. They were totally unaware that there was a spiritual battle going on. But God protected his people like he always does. But what did they do in return? They engaged with the Moabites. They they began participating in their idolatrous forms of, of worship to false gods. And they committed sexual sin with the Moabite women. What Balaam couldn't do by cursing, God's people did to themselves through their own sinful desires. There's that next phrase from from Shittim to Gilgal. See, God was reminding his people with that statement how he had delivered them into the promised land by crossing a flooded Jordan River at at, at flood stage. How he had parted basically that river for them, dammed it up miraculously. And God did for them once again what they could not do for themselves. Now, I don't believe that God calls us to live in the past, but he does call us to learn from it as he's doing here. All of us are familiar with, you know, that saying that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. God calls us to to remember because here's what happened. God's people had forgotten God's great mercies. And because they had forgotten God's great mercies, they began to ignore God's commands. They began to to ignore God. And as a result, their hearts became horribly hardened. They could no longer hear the voice of God and would no longer do the will of God. And God had every right to come to his people and and ask like he did in verse 3, What have I done to you? What, What have I done to deserve this kind of response from you? And so we see the reply of the people in verse 6. They say this, with what shall I come before the Lord? And how myself, bow myself before God on high? Shall I, shall I come before him with burnt offerings or calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? I don't know if you... Pick up on the sarcasm here. Instead of of falling on their face, instead of confessing their sins, instead instead of just standing there speechless because of their guilt, in a spirit of haughtiness, basically what they say is, God, okay, what can we, what could we do to get kind of, just kind of wipe this out? Their request shows how shallow Their spiritual life really was. How ignorant of the enormity of their own sin and how high the cost of forgiveness. And so what they're doing is they're saying, well, God, why don't we do, let's play, let's make a deal. And they they keep raising the bid just a little bit. Friends, God, God is not a game show host. He's just not, he's not a game show host. He doesn't, he doesn't bargain with sinners. None of the sacrifices that they offered to bring could have cleansed them from their sins. None of them. No human effort. See, the, the human effort 
we, we call it penance sometimes. The human effort of penance without true repentance and trusting God's mercy, all that does is it multiplies sin. And it deadens hearts. And it deceives us into thinking that somehow we're good enough to be pleasing to God. One day in Jesus' ministry, this is recorded in John 6, the people asked Jesus, it's not, it's not going to come up, you'll have to look it up later. But the, the people asked Jesus, well, Jesus, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus replied, he said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It's a, it's a matter of faith. See, true saving faith, faith comes from a heart that's broken in repentance, realizing that no amount of good works can ever cover our sin. Only God alone can do that through Jesus. And so now God speaks to the people through, through Micah directly and clearly in verse 8. And Micah proclaims the word of the Lord. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. He's told you. God has spoken this. And what the Lord does require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Here's what God is saying. This is personal. Each, each individual has to consider this for, for their own lives. The, Lord, the Lord's reply pointed to lives marked by moral and ethical righteous conduct, conduct not, not just religious ceremony, but we will never live righteously and we'll never be able to do justice unless we have first been justified by faith in Jesus and then made right with God. We'll never love mercy if we haven't personally experienced God's great mercy through Jesus' death on the cross. And that's why we, each of us, and, and the whole world needs Jesus. No one is able to do what God requires until, until we first come to God in our brokenness over our own sin, knowing that we need a Savior. See, un unsaved people who think that they're going to go out and do justice or that they love mercy are really fooling themselves. The Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, telling him how to teach people about this great deception. He said this in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to what? His own mercy. Folks, if you want to see the world change, if you want to see justice, if you want to see real justice come, it is only going to come as we give ourselves over to God's mercy that is only found in Jesus. And so before I go any further this morning, I, I've got to ask, have you done that? H ha have you done that? See, it's, it's the starting point. Have you taken the time to, to go to God and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I will bust hell wide open without you having mercy on me. God, I realize that you poured out your mercy for me when you allowed your son, when you put your son on that cross, and he bore my sin on his body, as the, as the Bible says. And he died a death that was meant for me, carrying that, that burden. Have you trusted in the mercy of God 
found only in Jesus Christ. Because if you have not, you will never really love mercy for other people. Because it's only found in Jesus. But once you have, once you have, and and let me say this, you can do this today, right where you're at. You can confess your sin. You can agree with God that you're separated from him by your sin. You can cry out to God in the name of Jesus and repent. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. And the Bible says if you call on his name with a repentant heart, he will save you. He will justify you before God. He will give you the mercy of God. For those of us, and I think most people watching, this is probably true for you've done that. But we still have to grow in that mercy. And we do that as we model our lives after his, as we put our trust not only in him taking us to heaven when we die, but that we trust his teachings. We trust his life as it's displayed in the scriptures. That's how we will begin to love mercy. We look to the one who is the perfecter of our faith, the perfecter of mercy. And in the time that we have left, I want to look at mercy put on display. See, Jesus modeled mercy, and we can become people who love mercy as we follow his lead. And we can dispense mercy by displaying him to the world. So how do we display Jesus to the world? Well, I want to take you to a great passage of scripture. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And here, the apostle Paul points to the great, incredible mercy of Jesus, not just with words, but as he demonstrated it. And so Paul writes these words in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says this, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any encouragement in Jesus, if there's going to be any comfort from love, any participation in, in, in the spirit and affection uh, and, and sympathy. Some translations use the word compassion. See, in our culture, many people uh, just think about sympathy. And sympathy doesn't require action. Compassion is connected to mercy and love, and it always leads to action. And so the word here is best translated, I think, is compassion. Some translations even translate it as kindness, the word mercy, because it's an, it's an action word. This is how, how we begin. Verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but... In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So here's what I want us to do. I want, I want us to think deeply about if there's going to be any encouragement in Christ for mercy and justice to come, then there are three things that we've got to apply. The people of God have got to apply to our lives. And the first one is this. If there's going to be encouragement in Christ, then I'm going to have to commit myself to reconciliation. I'm going to have to be committed to reconciliation. Now, in the the past few months, I've I've had to make lots of decisions. And some of them have been difficult and hard and at times personally painful. Decisions like, do we do we stop our services? Do we start them back? Do we discontinue them again? And, and some people have let it be known that they, they disagree with some of my decisions. Sometimes, sometimes people do that uh, 
very powerfully with, with words. Um, and, uh, you know, some decisions like wearing face coverings. And, and some people want to judge and, and cast blame. And, and some have even questioned my ability to trust God uh, because of decisions that I've made. But then there are others, others like our elders, who come alongside of me and they say, I am with you. And you're not in this alone, and I will bear, I will bear this pain for you, and I, I, I will help you carry this load. You don't have to do this by yourselves. By yourself. They, they, that's what they say to me. And so I, I don't have to do that. Friends, that feels like Christian love. And it, it matches Jesus' compassion and mercy. See, their love compels them to bear a burden. They make it their own. They join in, in my struggle. And they live out what Paul said earlier to the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, when he says, let your manner of life be worthy. Let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it tells us this, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And I love that about our elders. I, I, for me, that's a definition of the men that I have, I'm privileged to walk with. And, and Paul, back in verse 2, he, he, he said this. He said, be of one accord. And that literally means at a soul level, experiencing the suffering of another. And it only comes when we live out what verse 3 says. Doing nothing out of selfish, selfish ambition or, or conceit. But... But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Paul says it's the opposite of thinking that you're better than somebody else. It's the opposite, I would say, of this thing called racism. Friends, for justice to ever come, reconciliation must precede it. Reconciliation is rooted in relationship, a relationship that gets close. It experiences what someone else experiences and feels on a soul level. If you try to do, just do justice without first pursuing uh, reconciliation, do, do, you know what, do you know what justice without reconciliation is? Hell. I mean, and think about it. Hell is going to be that place for those people who will ultimately experience the justice of God, but were never reconciled with God through Christ, because they weren't. It's why God reconciled us, as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. If there's going to be any encouragement in Christ for the brokenness of this world brought on by racism... You and me, we, the people of God, are going to have to be reconcilers. And it has to start on a soul level. It, and, and that begins with what those in recovery call uh, doing a fierce moral inventory. And so I want to just give you a couple of targets to aim at on a personal level with this. And I, I want to do it by giving you some very simplistic definitions. But let them act as mirrors. For your own soul. I've been, I've been using these as mirrors in my own soul. They'll, they'll help us think about these issues on a personal level. You let the Holy Spirit guide you. 
Let me start with racism. Racism is the worldview. It's, it's this belief that from our birth, we are better than someone of another ethnicity or someone with more or less melanin in their skin tone. I got melanin right that time. I'm going to post a video later on today on Realm that is, uh, it, it talks about how deeply seared into our nation racism is because it was taught literally in our educational system as science tied to evolutionary theory. It's absolutely no wonder that racism is so entrenched in, in the, this nation because we taught it in our school systems, even in our, our, our places of higher learning. The next word that I want to give you is kind of a next level. It's the word prejudice. I don't think it's as bad as racism, but it's still evil. And it, it's, it's, it's this. It's exactly kind of the opposite. It's, it's counting others, you know, as... as um, where you think of yourself more, now what you're doing is you're just thinking of yourself less. Prejudice is the worldview that they're less than me because of our differences. You know, it's the thought, well, they're not going to act as good as I would in a given situation. You know, they're probably more prone to things like violence and, and crime than I am. That's prejudice. Next definition and level is, is this word bias. Now, it's still, it's better than both racism and prejudice. And quite frankly, this is more on an unconscious level is where most of our biases are. And this one's really hard to root out because it's so often it's a blind spot. And it will pop up from time to time. I know it still pops up in me. If, you're, if you were raised in an overtly sinful, racist, and prejudiced home or environment or culture, you're going to battle with this maybe, maybe much of your life. And it's going to take intentionally partnering with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to drive this out. I shared a little bit last week about my personal journey after coming to Christ, being challenged about racism and prejudice in my own life. And because that was true about me, I, I have battled with bias. You know, it's, it's a fight worth fighting, though, because it, the, the next place is becoming a reconciler, partnering with God and reconciling people to God and people to one another. And it's his people on mission with him, healing brokenness in our world, whereby hearts have been broken. And if there is going to be any encouragement in Christ, it will only come as the church and individuals in the church commit ourselves to reconciliation. Secondly, there will only be encouragement in Christ when I repent of the sin of indifference. When I repent of, of indifference. If you look back at Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, what God's word is saying is that my heart needs to not only reflect what my interests are, but needs to reflect my brother's heart even when it makes me feel uncomfortable. Even when I don't understand all the details the way they, they see them. 
Sometimes even when I may think differently about how we have arrived where we're at now. God's word is saying, if my brother is in pain, I must care enough to respond. The half-brother of Jesus, James, wrote these words in James 4, verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the sin of indifference. A few years back here in our city, we viewed the, the tragic shooting death of Walter Scott. We, we, we saw it with our own eyes. It played over and over again. And when it happened, I, I called some of our, my black brothers and, and talked with them. And I remember listening to, to Reggie Ford. Re, Reggie's a deacon in our church. Reggie, Reggie uh, was actually part of a church plant, an inner city church plant that we sponsored in downtown Charleston. He, he was an elder there. And, and when that church kind of ended up having to close, uh, Reggie and Shama came and united with us. And I remember talking to Reggie about his heart, how this, how this made him feel. And then again, most recently, after, after the death of, of George Floyd, we were in an online prayer group and Reggie and Shama were there and they were, they were pouring out their hearts about fear for their sons. Now, I love their boys, and many of you in this church love that family deeply. But we've got to connect with their their hearts on a a soul level. We've got to understand what, what, what brings that fear into them, and we've got to step in and not be indifferent to it. I know of, I've read about uh, the past couple weeks, some white couples who have a, a biological son, and they adopted uh, a black child, male child, of almost the same age, and they've been being raised together, and they don't have the same fears for their sons because of what they see going on in, in our nation. They, they fear for their lives differently. Friends, for justice to ever come, where we don't see this in our world, we have got to love mercy. And mercy, Paul tells us, must, must cause us to act. And that act starts in our minds. He says this in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. It's in Christ Jesus. And see, friends, he's speaking of repentance here. Repenting from the sin of indifference. It, it always begins with changing your mind. It's learning a new way to see the world through the eyes of another person. Third, if there's going to be any encouragement in Christ, it'll come when I choose to sacrifice what I have for another's gain. It'll only come when I choose to sacrifice what I have for another's gain. This is what the scripture says. So have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ. And I, 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 I don't beg often, but I am begging you to meditate on this passage of scripture that we're looking at right now. This is, this is the attitude that Jesus had, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, 
But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the church wants to see that. But we'll only see that in our lives in this world as we have this attitude that Jesus had. See, Jesus must be our Lord in these matters. We must follow in his steps. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, came from the ultimate position of privilege and the ultimate position of power. Jesus had righteousness. He gave his righteousness away to us. Jesus had a, a, an undivided relationship with God, his Father, that was broken when he hung on the cross with your sin and my sin on him so that he could call us friends. He went there to do that so that he could have a relationship with us. He had an inheritance. Jesus had at his disposal all the riches of heaven. But he wanted to share it with us. He had power that we cannot even imagine. The power to speak and all of creation comes into existence. He had power, but the Bible tells us that he emptied himself. Here's some questions that we've got to ask and answer. If we're going to follow after Jesus, what he modeled in Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says he did not consider the equality with God a privilege to hold on to. What privilege do you have that you would begin to use for the sake of another? What privilege were you born into that you could use for the sake of another? What power do you have? Have you been given that you could invest for someone who may not have your power? You know, in, in college football, there are always um, calls for uh, uh, reform in recruiting. And you know, if, if the NCAA decided to really go after that and to, to make some real uh, changes in recruiting so that it was more fair for everyone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name out two universities that would not be in favor of changes. One is Clemson and the other is Alabama. Why? Because right now they're benefiting from the way things are. They, they love the current system. Friends, if you, if, if we are benefiting in any way from the way things are in our culture. Maybe it's something as simple as being the part of the majority in something. The Bible says if there's going to be any encouragement in Christ for our world, they are going to have to see you and I sacrificing what we have so that others may gain. They're going to have to see us putting ourselves out there and willing to be like Christ and help. Willing to be moved to action when we see someone hurting. 
that we would leave our position of privilege, as Jesus did, the Bible says, and be moved to step into their sorrow. Jesus did not count equality with God as something to cling to. He saw you. He saw me. He saw our need. And he sacrificed what he had so that we might gain what he had. See, being in a relationship with God, Jesus had it. And he sacrificed so that we could have it. The promise of riches in heaven, he sacrificed it so we can have it. So here's a question. Where are you winning? Right now in this world, where are you winning? And will you start letting that help others win? If you're going to do that, there are three things that you're going to have to do. Just real quickly. The first one is this. You're going to have to pray. And I don't mean one prayer. You're going to have to pray an ongoing prayer, a heartfelt attitude, a ceaselessness where you ask God to search your heart. Again, not as a a one and done kind of thing, but as a daily habit. God, search my heart on this issue of justice. God, search my heart on this issue of mercy. The second thing that you're going to have to do, you got to pray. All three of these begin with P. The second thing you've got to do involves proximity. You're going to have to choose to get closely enough in relationship with someone who's different than you. Maybe different in, in ethnicity, different skin tone. And you're going to have to hear their hearts cry for justice. You're going to have to, to listen. You're going to have to get close enough to really listen to someone's heart. And if you love mercy, you will listen a whole lot more then you talk or click and post something. You'll listen. The third application is participate. you got to pray. you got to get proximally close to someone different than you. And the third thing you've got to do is to intentionally get involved. You've got to participate. You've got to join in prayer walks. You've got to get involved in ministries for justice. You can't just continue the same old, same old. You've got to study candidates before you vote for them. But by the grace of God, and for the sake of mercy, do something. Mercy requires it. And God requires that we love mercy. Let's pray. Father, we come right now in Jesus' name. God, we've, we've lifted up a mirror today. And my prayer has been, God, it will be a mirror of mercy. Because mercy, true mercy, when we love mercy, our hearts get knit to those who struggle. Our heart gets knit to those in need. Our heart gets knit to the cries of people in sorrow and pain and brokenness. God, we want to love mercy. And so we come again this day, God, realizing that it's Jesus we've got to look to. We've got to have the same attitude that Jesus had. So, Lord, I pray right now 
for all of us, everyone listening today. God, would you, would you move our hearts to recommit ourselves to reconciliation, racial reconciliation, evangelism reconciliation, where we're actively proclaiming the gospel to reconcile people first to God and then to one another. Will you stir our hearts there, God? And Father, would you, would you move us out of the sin of indifference? Would you cause us to hear the heart cries? Will you draw us close enough into people in pain? And Father, will you, will you show us how to sacrifice? Jesus, will you show us how to sacrifice like you did? Not counting what we have as a privilege, but as a blessing to be shared with others. Show us, God. Search our hearts. Jesus, we come grateful this morning that you desire, you have this great desire to show your mercy off. we want your mercy we know we need your mercy but we know we'll never fully embrace all the mercy you have for us until we first begin the journey of dispensing it to others God we're grateful that your mercy in our lives will triumph over judgment that it has in Jesus and so we come Longing for mercy to triumph in this world. Let it begin in us, O God. Let mercy have your way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 11.30 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.